Well, good morning, church. Um, it's good to be with you. He took my Bible. I told him, I said nice things about him. He took my Bible. Um, <clears throat> this morning, we're going to be starting a, uh, a new series. I'm excited about it. I'm a little bit trepidatious. It's, we're going to call it Dead Inside. Uh, if you know where the graphic is from, then uh, my hat's off to you. If you don't know, then we'll explain some more. But uh, everyone around you is... Or all of the culture is celebrating a holiday we call Halloween, and it's, uh, they like to put on masks, and they like to pretend, and they like to um, celebrate some dark things. And so this series is going to be a little bit darker than what our normal series are. We just finished Shiny Things. It was very bright, very minimalistic, and this is Dead Inside, and this is a minimalistic version of the graphic, but um, I liked it. I made it by accident and then just saved it and, and going to use it for this. So... <clears throat> Um, this is a little bit of a darker series, but the whole thing that we're facing is, is hypocrisy. I don't know if you've had any conversations with your neighbors or with family members um, in which they say, well, I would go to church, but it's full of hypocrites. And I understand the criticism. Um, the honest ones will say, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to be a hypocrite. But that's beside the point. The fact of the matter is that this is one of the things that pops up when people are thinking, think people from outside the church are thinking about church. And sometimes it's a thing that we think about ourselves. And one of the things that I'm grateful for about God and about Jesus and about his word is that his Bible isn't silent on the topic. And so what we want to do in this series is take a couple of case studies from a different church. We don't have to talk about grace. We don't have to talk about ourselves. We'll, we'll, we'll be very academic about it. It won't be applicable at all. You won't have to worry about your toes getting stepped on. Just kidding. <clears throat> but we're going, to look at a couple, uh, we're going to look at a different church as a case study for what was going on in their church, what God had to say about it, and the things that they needed to do to correct it, okay? Does that sound interesting enough? Can we, can we hang through that for the next couple of minutes? Very good. Um, so we are going to, well, before we do anything else, let me just read for you the definition, because I, I feel like we can't throw a word out there without defining it, and I know that words sometimes mean different things. So the, the internet, for whatever it's worth, uh, defines hypocrisy as this, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or belief to which one's own behavior does not conform. Another word is pretense. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, would you pray with me? God, you're so good. Lord, it's so interesting, the things that you do in a life of a church body, that God, simultaneously, you can be leading us into um, maybe a discussion that we're uncomfortable with, while at the same time doing great and important things in the lives of young people and helping them to mature and allowing them to graduate and giving us the opportunity to celebrate that. Lord, weeping and mourning, um, and dancing and celebration, these things very rarely come isolated from each other. And so, Lord, as we, as we move into this series, Father, we pray that you would give us a laser-sharp focus, a refined view of your grace and your goodness. And, Lord, as we come to understand the hypocrisy and the contradictions that cont are contained within our own heart, my own heart, and so, Lord Jesus, as your servant, I pray that you would speak through me, that, Lord, anything of myself that is designed to point to myself, that it would be forgotten quickly. But, Lord, all of the eternal truth that you have for us would remain embedded in our hearts, unshakable. Lord, that it would be a foundation for which we can build our lives. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
So we're going to turn to the Bible to find our case study, and we're going to be in the book called 1 Corinthians, and we're going to start in chapter 5. It's on page 790 if you're using one of these Bibles that we have here. If you'd like one, I can get you one. There's a couple here. Would you like one to follow along? I, I have to read it. Like, I can hear it, and that's okay, but if I don't read it, then I, I get lost. Would you like one? You good? It's on page 790 in these Bibles. First Corinthians in chapter five, and if you've been uh, if you've been with Grace for the last couple of weeks, you know that we have already taken a look at the first four verses or the first four chapters of this letter. It was in a sermon series that we called Shiny Things, and if you want to catch up on that, uh, most of those sermons are recorded online, and the one that isn't I'll replace this week, so you can catch up on that. Um, so ocalagrace.org/sermons or something like that, you can find it on the website pretty easily, or in your favorite podcasting app. This ends the commercial. Let's read God's word. <clears throat> He's coming right out, out of the, out of, out of the, the gate here. First um, Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse one, "It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and that of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. We're going to pause there. That's two verses, but there's more than enough for us to chew on in these two verses. <laughs> um, like I said, this is a little bit of a darker sermon series. Some of the content is going to be a little bit more PG-13, so if you weren't prepared for that, I'm sorry. I'm giving you the heads up now, and we're going to, we're going to talk about it. Um, in these first two verses, he's saying, it is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. So this is a pastor who started this church and has been a long ways away for, for a long, long time. And so he's written this letter because he's heard some things. Word has gotten back to him about things that are going on in the church. This is the rumors that are going on around the church and things that are going on in the church. And he says, look, I am hearing, not you're telling me, but I am hearing that there is sexual immorality among you. And that's a problem in and of itself. But this is a certain kind of sexual immorality that, that people who don't follow Jesus are not okay with either. Like, people who really don't give much of a rip about God or about Jesus, they really don't want you to be having an affair with their wife. Correct? Right. So, so uh, just having an affair with your wife, like, that's, that's a no-no. It's a problem. People get killed over it all the time. Um, I'm, that's a different story. I'm not going to use that illustration. Um, but this, what's happening here isn't just an affair with somebody's wife. This is an affair with your father's wife. Yeah. That's the rumor that's going on about what's going on in this church in Corinth. So whatever church you've been a part of, I'm sure that there, you've had some great things. I'm sure there have been some bad things. Um, and I hope that you've never had to go through being a part of a body that was experiencing this kind of trauma because these kind of relationships will cause trauma. <clears throat> he says, it is actually reported among you that the, the, the sexual immorality among you, and it's not even acceptable among pagans. People who don't want anything to do with Jesus are saying, what y'all are doing inside the church is wrong. Verse two, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So, so not only is this going on, 
This is a church that has identified a problem that, it's this, that everybody knows that this is what's happening, that this guy is sleeping with his dad's wife. And they're showing the guy love. They're saying, oh, well, we, we can't, like, we can't correct him. We got to be loving. We're, God is love, and we just got to, we got to gather around him and support him. And we just, aren't we so accepting? Like, hey, we're a loving church. We would even let that guy stay in our church, right? And you, and you hear this a lot, and I'm, I'm, what I don't want you to hear, let me pause. Let me pause what I'm saying and, and give you a caveat that I want you to understand. I'm not attacking any particular church that you may or may not be familiar with. There's none that I have in mind. But I know that this kind of thinking of we can't have any kind of standards because we want to love people, I think that that's exactly the kind of thing that the text is addressing, and that's what we're going to get to. <clears throat> because there is a standard. There's an assumption here that Paul is working from, that there's a standard. You can't have hypocrisy without a standard. It's, it's an assumption. It's, it's something that goes on. You cannot, you cannot say that you believe something and then not act like you believe it if you don't actually have a standard by which you believe. This is, this is a little bit heady. This is a little bit heady, but I, I, I think it's important, especially today, to make this. Because there are people who say, you can believe whatever you want. Your truth is your truth, and it doesn't affect anybody else. And that kind of... the. The philosophical term is postmodern thinking. Uh, there's no absolutes in the world. And I'm not saying that any of you are, are non-absolutist philosophers. I don't think that that's like your heart and you've, you've figured that out. But these are ideas that kind of creep in to our thinking. Like, oh, well, I can't, you know, I can't hold people accountable for stuff because, you know, it's, one, it's not my business. And two, like, you know, they're just doing their thing. Like, you do you. I'll do me. You do you. Uh, is kind of the idea. But, but Paul has here as an assumption that, one, there is a standard. And it's not even a biblical standard, is it? Paul, Paul can point to biblical standards. There is a verse in Leviticus chapter 20, I think it's verse 4, that says, if a man is sleeping with his father's wife, you should kill them both. Like, in the Bible, he could go to that verse. He's saying, I don't even have to go to the Bible. The pagans tell you you're doing the wrong thing. There is a standard in order to have hypocrisy. And one of the things that I'm not going to do this morning that I will do in four weeks is talk about what is the standard of, of sexual morality. Like, that is a component of, of what we're going to be talking about in this series, but it's actually going to be our last week in this series. So I'm not talking and defining the standard. I'm just pointing out there is a standard of sexual morality, and they're not, they're not living up to it. Are we on the same page with what's happened in these two verses so far? So here's, here's the thing. Let him who has done this been removed from among you. See, he started with this assumption, and then he makes a declaration. And here's something that's difficult for us to wrap around, especially I think of, of grandparents and parents when we talk about our children. It's, it's hard sometimes to think this way. But it is truly loving it is truly loving to somebody to want God's design for their life. Like if God created everything, follow, follow me with this, if God created everything and he knows how humanity is imperfect and he's figured out a plan to make it so that they can be perfect again and be reconciled to him, if he has a design for humanity's life that's better than any of the designs that I could come up with because I'm not very smart, then me wanting God's design for somebody else 
is loving to them. But sometimes people reject God's design for their life. It's a, it's a fact of the matter. It's been happening since Adam and Eve. And every one of us has rebelled at some point. And there were people in your life who loved you enough to say, hey, this isn't God's design for your life. And that was loving. There's the standard here, and you need to be held accountable to it. If you want to draw a straight line, you have to know what a straight line is. If you say, I've drawn a straight line, and it's like this, you say, that's not a straight line. You say, well, the straight line is whatever I make it. If I call it straight, it's straight. That's the kind of stuff you'll hear today. It drives me nuts. I'm saying you have to have a standard in order for there to be hypocrisy. And if you don't have a standard, you can't be a hypocrite, and you shouldn't be complaining about hypocrites because you don't have a standard to go by. That's a different point. Let's read a little bit more because he, he says um, some hard things in verse 3. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. We'll pause there. So he's saying, you guys got to get this guy out. You've got to remove him from the community. And there's really interesting, beautiful, sad picture here of the church gathered, all of us gathered together with this person, and then the apostle by way of spirit being here, and the Lord Jesus being gathered together with us, and then having to have this rough business of removing somebody from the fellowship. It's difficult to say this in a culture where if you get kicked out of this church, like there's seven down the road. And there's not so much cooperation between the churches that they necessarily will check background or figure out what's going on in a person's life before you can join. I'm not going to be able to solve all of that. But he's saying there is a benefit of being attached to a faith community. And if you continue to allow him to get all the benefits of belonging to the faith community, then there's no reason for him to ever change. The most loving thing to do in, the, in a given situation, and in this given situation, may not be pleasant for the person that you were showing love to. There are things that you can do to show somebody how much you love them that they will not enjoy. And this is one of, those, one of those instances. I want you to look close at that last verse in verse 8, or excuse me, not verse 8, in verse 5. You deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The so that is the point. Whatever you do, however you talk to this guy, keep in mind that we're not trying to kick him when he's down. We're not trying to just kick him out and let him deal with his mess on his own. The point of what we're trying to do is to lead him to have a proper understanding of his relationship with God so that when God comes, when Jesus comes to judge everything, he might be saved. Some, the, the earthly things that we do, the things that we do on a temporary basis, some of them have eternal ramifications. And if you just let him continue to do what he's going to do, then he's never going to realize that there's eternal ramifications for persisting in this sin. 
What we want you to do is to correct him so that he knows that he's in sin, so that when he gets to Jesus and he says, oh, I didn't, and Jesus says, well, why should I let you in? Like, well, I trusted you. Like, well, you didn't deal with the sin that I forgave. I forgave it. Why are you continuing to be a slave to it? And that's the thing, church. And this is where I think sometimes we, we miss. Jesus can speak very harshly about sin and sin in your life and sin in your heart because Jesus is in the business of forgiving sin. He has laid his own life down that we don't have to deal with it. And I don't know how frustrating it would be if I bought a car for my child and that child continued to make car payments to the dealer even though I had paid it in full. Jesus has paid in full the penalty of sin. And so he says, stop doing it. You don't have to be a slave to this anymore. I've paid for it. I've forgiven it. And if we don't know that it's a sin, we don't have any reason to get rid of it, right? We, we don't change unless we have a catalyst to change. We don't like changing. We don't like doing things differently. We don't even like doing things differently that we know are good for us. And so if the church won't call out sin in each other's life, if the church won't be accountable to each other, if you can't look at your sister or your brother in Christ and say, hey, what you're doing is leading to death, then what are we doing here? If you can't trust the people around you to call out sin in your life, then why would you come at all? I can think of a thousand other things I'd rather be doing on a Sunday morning, first among which is sleeping. But God is building a community of faith here. And God uses normal people's hands in other people's lives for eternal differences. What God is building here is a life-giving community. And the Spirit of God works through the people of God and the Word of God to create life. And so if we don't call out sin, people will never change. <laughs> we cannot truly love without God's standard of truth. If we want to be loving towards people, we want God's design for their life. And we cannot truly love them. We cannot truly show love to somebody unless you have God's standard of truth. Right. There's a little bit of a logical jump there. And, and if you're observant, you're like, I don't know that I buy that, Michael. Um, that sounds good. That sounds churchy. I don't know if I buy it. Um, uh, let's imagine <coughs> maybe your daughter, maybe my daughter, uh, goes on vacation to Mexico. I've heard it. I've heard an illustration this way. Um, and goes to Mexico and meets this guy, and he's all dreamy. He's got hair, and it's like slicked back, and it's just always perfect. He's got the best smile, you know. And she just is infatuated with this guy. And, and, and she spends their, her whole vacation with this guy. And he's just telling her everything she wants to hear. Like, he wants to, he wants to settle down. He wants to have a family. He wants to provide for a family. He just wants to, to have a wife to come home to, to just love him and support him. And, and he just wants to support his wife and, and, and show her how much he cares about her and lavish her with gifts. And she's just eating it up. She's like, yeah, yeah, I think... 
Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I picture my life too. Like maybe we were meant to be together. Maybe this is, maybe I'm in love with you. And they spend the whole week and they just have the most wonderful week of vacation. And she goes home and, and she tries to call him because he lives in a different state. And his wife answers the phone. And his wife tells her what a bummy is and how he can't get a job and how he stole plane tickets to Mexico. Can she love a man who's done nothing but lie to him, to her? Is her love based upon something that's true? She doesn't love that dude. She loves the story that he told her. And we cannot love somebody unless we truly understand God's standard of truth. You cannot have love without truth. They go together. If I told you how much I love my wife and told you that she's got the most beautiful blonde hair, all of y'all should slap me across the face because y'all know my wife doesn't have blonde hair. I cannot love her unless I know her truly as she is. And we cannot love each other without God's standard of truth. And sometimes the way that we love people is unpleasant for them. Sometimes the way that we love people is pointing out that there's sin in their life. And if they choose not to take it to Jesus and let Jesus deal with it, then I can't continue to talk to you like I always have been. You claim the name of my Savior and live in sin as if he never forgave it. I don't think we can be the same kind of friends we were before. Does that make sense? Sometimes you got to kick them out. <laughs> and as we close, he gives one illustration, one more illustration. Let's read together in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, he zooms back just a little bit more, and he says, you don't realize that the community that you're in is in danger. You don't realize that if you let this guy continue, that if you, if you forsake the standard of truth that God has given you, if you do not hold him to this standard, then all of y'all are in danger. That letting this one guy in is going to permeate through the rest of you. Your attitude towards the, your sin and, your, and subsequently your attitude towards Jesus' forgiveness of your sin is going to change if you don't think sin is a problem. Do you get what I'm saying? If I don't think sin is a problem, then why would I care so much about the dude who says he forgave it? A little bit of leaven goes all the way through the loaf, and the whole thing rises. Percentage-wise, the leaven, the yeast that's in a, in a bit of dough, isn't very much. Tablespoons to cups of flour, and yet the whole thing rises. See, the community is in danger. And he says, take out the leaven, take out the yeast, take out the stuff that is going to distract you from the forgiveness I have already given you. 
Do you hear it? Do not celebrate the festival. Do not celebrate your forgiveness with malice and anger and sin. You don't celebrate forgiveness of sin with sin. You celebrate forgiveness of sin with what? The unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, with hypocrisy in the church, it doesn't just stop with you. We've got an idea that my relationship with God can be just between me and God. But we don't realize how connected we are. We don't realize that the sin that I allow to stay in my life, the sin that I continue to go to and I continue to cling to, even though Jesus has forgiven it, that sin will affect the people beside me and the community is at risk. So we cannot truly love without God's standard of truth. And so the first question, the obvious question, is are we harboring ongoing, well-known sin? The church word would be unrepentant, but harboring ongoing, well-known sin. We have to ask this question as a community, Grace. It's happened. There have been times where we've had to deal with it over the last couple of years. And they were not easy conversations to have. But the church can rejoice together when we've gotten through it. It's not just having hard conversations for the sake of having conversations. It's not just having conflict because you like to fight people. But we become stronger when we deal with the sin at the foot of the cross. In our weakness, he is stronger and he can lead us to celebration and sincerity and truth if we deal with the sin. So are we harboring it, grace? And then we have to ask the question personally, are you harboring it? You've heard me say numerous times this morning that Christ has defeated every sin, that he's paid for it all, he's paid it in full, and that there is no penalty for those who choose to trust him with it. So for us personally, are we harboring that sin? We keep turning back to it, thinking that it's going to give us life when Jesus has forgiven it all and said, that will kill you. I will give you life. And if so, my invitation is to turn to Jesus this morning. Are we disciples enough of God's word to know his designs for true life? You guys got new Bibles today, which is super exciting. But knowing the word, like understanding the principles that are contained in it, do we know it well enough that when somebody says something that is opposite of what God has said, does that ring a bell in our heads? Or do we say, yeah, that seems kind of plausible? Are we disciples enough of God's word to know his designs for life? And more than knowing it, because there's a lot of real smart people who know it really, really well and can explain to you the Bible till they're blue in the face and don't live any of it. Beyond knowing the truth of divine wisdom, it's divinely applied to your heart. The Spirit of God applying the Word of God to our hearts. And do we love one another well enough to have the hard conversation? 
I remember the first time that I was dealing with some of these concepts. It's been a couple of years ago now. But there was a fella, um, a brother in Christ, who I was friends with, and we were walking along, and I realized, like, this area of your life, like, you're not being honest here. You're digging yourself a hole, and it's going to come back and bite you if you continue to be dishonest in this way. And I actually was in that entryway, and then when the thought came to my mind, like, do I love him enough to tell him before his world falls apart that he's in sin and that he needs to correct it? And at the time that the Holy Spirit brought that question to mind, the answer was no. I don't love him that much. But that was the start of me seeking Jesus and asking him to grow my love for that man. We had that conversation and many others, and things didn't go the way that I planned it. But if he walked in that door right now, I guarantee you I would run to him and give him a hug, and he would not be uncomfortable with that. We disagree, but I love him. And so do we love each other enough to have the hard conversations? Let's take a few minutes and we'll reflect on these questions personally. If you'd like to share on your uh, connection card and leave that in the basket in the entryway as we go out. Um, I'd love, I'd love to be able to pray with you through these concepts. Um, And if not, you can shoot me an email or, or get in touch somehow, however. But let's take a few minutes. I will pray and then we'll reflect on these questions and how God's moving this morning. Let's pray. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.